Hello everybody, welcome back to Just One More Opinion. Charlie here and we're in the end game now. After that unbelievable cliffhanger, after one full year of waiting and speculating on April of 2019, we finally found out how our superheroes are gonna repair what Thanos did, what the plan is. Thanos did win in Infinity War, but now the Avengers are ready and they will inevitably us. Ha <laughs> You thought I'd finish that. Oh no, not yet. First, we need to build up the excitement, go scene by scene, tap into each important plot point. But first, I just want to quickly tell you my terrifying experience with this movie. <laughs> you see, at the time that it was released, I was actually in France, uh, Toulouse to be exact, on a university workshop slash field trip. And I was there for five days, and on the second day, Endgame was out. And there was no way for me to watch it in France. I had to wait until I came back to London to watch it with my friends. So I, I was so stressed out. I completely went off the grid. Only went on my phone to talk to my family, who had already seen it. In fact, this was the first time my immediate family and my closest Portuguese friends had watched an MCU movie before me. Thankfully, they didn't spoil anything. My dad almost did, almost spitting out he could cosplay as Thor now. Jesus Christ. My brother stopped him, though. So be aware that I had to avoid so much of the digital world, and I was so tense up until I got to the movie theater on the 29th of April, and when I finally sat down to watch it, I was so much more relaxed. I had the biggest smile on my face and I had no idea of how much I was going to cry throughout the film. It was a very emotional experience. So anyway, that is my quick introduction or better yet, my situation regarding this release. And also I have got to say the records that Avengers Endgame broke just proved that it's not just a superhero movie, not just a culmination of 21 films and 11 years. This was an actual cultural event and I'm so grateful that I followed it since Iron Man 1 when I was just 9 years old and I got to experience the MCU evolve and develop as I grew up and at the age of 20 I was able to fully appreciate this gift. It was a, it was a gift without a question. People can say that Infinity War is a better movie and I agree as a cinematic story it's much more aligned to what a film should look like but Endgame is different. It's, it's not really trying to be a better movie. The point of it is that it's a love letter to the fans. That's its purpose. And I think 
in that regard, it was very successful. We laughed, we cried, we screamed with excitement, and we gasped with nostalgia. We left the movie feeling both heartbroken and grateful because part of the journey is the end. And what a great journey this was. I can't picture my life without the MCU. It has given me such joy for over a decade now. And I'm so glad that with the end of this chapter, this Infinity Saga, we can now keep exploring other pockets of the MCU as we venture into an all-new, all-different Phase 4 and beyond. But I'm not here today to talk about what is to come, but about what has come and gone and how beautiful it was. So let's dive right in. This might be somewhat boring, but I'd like to go through the whole movie almost scene by scene because in every single one, we get something that is so precious or vital to the story prog progression that I feel like I have to. So please indulge me in this expedition through Avengers Endgame. The movie starts with already too much sadness. Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, is at his farmhouse with his family, wife Laura and his kids Lila, Cooper and Nathan. And after looking away for just a second, Clint loses track of his family. Dust is flo floating around, he's confused and scared, the terror inside him builds up. And that's that, he just saw his family disappear. Wow, what a brutal way to start a movie. Amongst other people, I also predicted that the Russo brothers were going to start the movie with Hawkeye losing all of his family. It was kind of the right way to go, to add some personal stakes for his character that would impact him throughout the film. It's deeply disturbing, yes, but thinking about the character development for this Aven Avenger, it, it was a smart choice, if you know what I mean. But then we go to space, where Stark and Nebula are on the Guardian's ship, working together, trying to fix it, but with little success. Food and water are running out, as well as oxygen. The unlikely pair did all they could, but it seems like this is it for them. Tony leaves Pepper a message on his Iron Man helmet, in case she ever listens to it, and he says this, Today's day 21, no, 22, which is a nod to this movie's position in the franchise being the 22nd movie inside the MCU, which is really cool. But the central point of the message is to say goodbye. Tony knows he doesn't have a lot of time and he rests his eyes for a bit. But then a burning light across space travels towards the ship and Stark wakes up to see Captain Marvel, who we know from her movie's post credit scene that she had met the other Avengers and probably flew across galaxies to find Stark and Nebula's position. She was really their only hope. And she brings the spaceship to Earth, lands it by the Avengers HQ, where Tony is reunited with Pepper 
and the rest of the team. He tells Steve that he, he lost the kid, which again goes back to what Tony told Peter in Spider-Man Homecoming. If Parker was gone, that would be on him, on Tony. His, his sense of guilt will come back later on, but it's so impressive how Marvel connected every dot to this movie. Tony's terrible vision in Age of Ultron came true, and he couldn't save the universe. He should have done more. Thankfully, he will at the end, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. The team now almost together, well, not really, yeah, because of the events of Infinity War, but the team discusses their next move, how to find Thanos and beat him. Tony confronts Cap in an ugly but also beautiful scene, full of tension and heart, invoking their break up at the end of Civil War. Tony is still very weak from his 22-day experience in outer space, so he's out of the planning. It is his new intergalactic companion who helps the team find Thanos. Nebula discloses his location, since the Mad Titan had always intended to go to the so-called Garden after the job was done. It was only a question of finding its location. So, Rocket Raccoon does some digging and explaining. He says that when Thanos snapped his fingers, Earth became ground zero for a power surge of ridiculously cosmic proportions, which could lead, in the future, to the introduction of some mutations, no? Mm -hmm. Just a thought. Anyway, the energy release was identified in another planet a few days back, and so the team travels to this location where Thanos had, once again, used all six Infinity Stones and snapped his fingers. In this scene, there's also a very smart explanation as to why we hadn't met Captain Marvel before this year. It was pretty good. I mean, there are a lot of other planets that need protection, so Danvers had her hands full for the past decade, decades. We don't really know how she looks that young still, but uh, I don't really care right now. It's not really that important. Uh, and as the team approaches the garden, Steve confesses to Natasha that if this doesn't work, he doesn't know what he's going to do. And this is, this is such a sad moment, a premonition of more, more hurt and sorrow, that when you rewatch it, you really feel the weight of this mission on Cap's shoulders. The guy has now lost more than he already has. His two best friends are gone. And his team has lost big time. This is their only chance. When they reach Thanos' hideout, the Met Titan is just making soup. <laughs> and his left arm is completely damaged, so the team easily overpowers the purple fella. Thor cuts off the gauntlet arm, and the team are shocked when they see no stones on it. Thanos had used the stones to destroy the stones in a big plot twist moment. They served only as temptation, he says, and his job was already done. Thanos was inevitable. But not invincible, 
Thor finally goes for the head and decapitates the villain. His remorse, his guilt had been alleviated but not extinct. The God of Thunder walks out and our team has no other choice but to move on. So, five years go by. Wow, what a bold move, this time jump. And it did not only create some shell shock in us, the viewers, but it also opened the doors from, for some new stories to happen in the five-year gap, which could be explored in future installments, hopefully. But yes, the, these were the most cruel, scandalous first 20 minutes of any MCU movie, even more dreadful than that initial sequence in Infinity War, because now <laughs> we had no clue what to do next. Our heroes were disbanded, some were still fighting the good fights, but others fully moved on, or at least tried to. Black Widow was now the leader of the Avengers, who had branched out. She's seen conducting a meeting with holograms of Okoye, Rhodey, Captain Marvel, and Rocket with Nebula, who have all been overseeing the situation in their respective territories. Nebula and Rocket have been cleaning up messes uh, around the galaxies, as well as Danvers, who might not jo join them for their following monthly reunion due to work overload. Okoye informs Nat of an earthquake under the ocean. Nothing to worry about, she says, but every fan <laughs> started thinking about Namor the submariner and the hidden kingdom of Atlantis. So thank you, Marvel, for putting this here. It's really going to be interesting to see how you develop this, hopefully for phase five. And Rhodey has been tracking down these ruthless crime scenes, the result of Ronin's involvement, the new moniker for Clint Barton, who is now taking out criminal organizations in a very vicious, deadly way. Meanwhile, Steve Rogers has been leading sessions with individuals who have lost people to the snap and are having trouble moving on. But so does Steve, who is also aware of the only benefits of the decimation, which is just clearer skies and oceans, just like Thanos intended. The universe seems to be doing better in that, in that regard, but still, the state of the universe needs correction from Thanos' correction. And their only hope <laughs> lies now in the tiny hands of T Scott Lang, who had been stuck in the quantum realm for who knows how long. And in a day like any other, a little mouse accidentally turns off the quantum tunnel inside Lang's van, which had been kept at a storage facility. And finally, Scott is free from the eternal loneliness of the quantum void. The first thing he does is run to his daughter's house, hoping she was spared in the snap. And she was. Cassie is now five years older, and her reunion with her long-lost dad is so heartwarming. Both actors did an amazing job in the scene. It was really a precious little moment. Back 
At the Avengers facility, Natasha opens up to Steve about having nothing before joining the Avengers that they were now her only family. And Johansson's acting here is so powerful. Really, hats off to her. She didn't get nominated for this, but she was the 12th actor of all time to be nominated twice in one year for her work in Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit, so congrats for that. Scarlett, you really deserved it. And she also tells Steve that she's still hopeful about bringing everyone back. But how? You know, how will they do that? Well, enter Scott Lang. He explains to both Avengers how he got stuck in the Quantum Realm, but not for five years, for five hours. Time works differently in the Quantum Realm, so maybe... If they could control the chaos and use that to travel back in time before Thanos, they could revert the awful events of Infinity War. For that, they need someone pretty smart. Their first choice, Mr. Tony Stark himself, who has retired and now lives in a farmhouse with Pepper and their new daughter, Morgan. She is so cute. All of this is cute. And it comes back to a dialogue scene. In Age of Ultron, where Tony tells Steve that he should copy Barton's plan and live with Pepper in a farmhouse. And now, he has. And he's fully happy with his second chance at life, so he sadly refuses to be part of any time heist, as call, call, calls it. <laughs> because A, time travel is a pipe dream, B, they could make everything worse, and C, he cannot risk losing what he has found in the last five years. He just can't. So Cap, Nat, and Scott find the second genius they know, Dr. Bruce Banner, who is a little different than the last time we saw him. After 18 months in a gamma lab, he has put the brains and brawn together, and now he is smart Hulk combination of puny Banner's intellect and the green Goliath's strength and size. The CGI is actually super good. You can really see Ruffalo's face on the model for Smart Hulk, which is super cool. I know people didn't really like this decision about the character, but I really enjoyed it, and I'll explain why in a future episode about my predictions for Phase 4 and all the characters who are still around for that. Uh, but yeah, Banner has a conversation with the three heroes at a diner where he's interrupted by three kids who want a picture with him. And pff, my god, this scene, is, this scene is so funny. Between Hulk's new catchphrases and his dad moves and Scott's attempt to take a picture with the kids as well. This moment provided for some great laughs, um, but yeah. Banner ultimately accepts their proposal and goes back to Avengers HQ to start working on some time machine prototype. Although he was able to make us laugh in this scene, he was not able to send Scott through time, but instead he made time go through Scott, which again provided for some decent humor. Thankfully, a genius with a guilty conscience had recently tried his luck at figuring out time travel and he did manage to discover a way that they could safely hop through time. 
Stark arrives at Avengers HQ with some brand new GPS time-traveling devices and a schematic for an upgraded quantum tunnel. But however, just before he decides to help, he is hesitant, of course, because he'd be jeopardizing his wife and daughter. The latter that had just told him this, just the sweetest thing, I love you 3000, just melts your heart, it's so cute. But the former, Pepper, reminded him that he would not be able to rest if he didn't try to bring everyone back. That's That was the way with Tony. So, now, with him on board, there were only two other founding Avengers left for the team to be full together. Hulk and Rocket traveled to Norway, Tonsberg, where Odin had passed away in Thor Ragnarok. And now, that's the home for the remaining Asgardians. New Asgard is not filled with golden palaces, but its king still lives like royalty, as he only comes out to restock on beer and stays at home the rest of the time. Banner and Rocket find a depressed, overweight Thor with little to no interest in his people as he spends his days drinking and playing video games with Korg and Meek. Thor is completely, utterly broken by his failure at stopping Thanos, and that's why when the Hulk mentions the Titan's name, Thor gets angry and defensive. He still blames himself and doesn't see any point in trying to repair what Thanos did. And I think the development, this character arc for Thor, most of it was played for laughs, but I really enjoyed it. I think it gave the character more depth. And yeah, Chris Emsworth is great at balancing the the comedy and the tragedy in, in Thor, so... Yeah, I really enjoy this. Most people thought it was just done for a good laugh, but I thought it was done really well with lots of meaning behind it. But yeah, he he doesn't see any point in trying to fix things, but the promise of booze eventually persuades the God of Thunder. In Tokyo, Natasha finds a ferocious Barton taking out a Yakuza criminal faction without any mercy. The two friends talk. Nat has some good good news, but Clint doesn't want her to give him hope. Here you see the toll that the snap had on Hawkeye, losing the most important thing to him in just a few seconds, not being able to do anything about it. So a promise like that it was just too good to be true. Hopeful wasn't something Ronan had the luxury of being. Nevertheless, he joined his former team on the off chance that they could fix everything. And he was actually the one who volunteered to do a test run on the new Stark Quantum Tunnel. Banner gives an actually totally logical explanation of how time travel should work, um, in my opinion, of course. And when Hawkeye does try the time machine, he goes back to his farmhouse years prior where he where he hears the voices of his kids inside his home. He's taken back too soon before he could even see them or talk to them. But now 
the team knows that it works. The quantum tunnel time machine works. It is possible to time travel. The only thing left to do is devise a plan. A plan for the time heist. <laughs> and the sequence is just so funny and cool. Uh, a trip down memory lane, really. Thor gives a hilarious presentation about the ether. Emsworth's comedic timing is so great, makes me laugh every time. Um, the Power Stone should be on a Morag in 2014 and the Soul Stone on Vormir, but it's in the brainstorming moment about the remaining three stones that things get really amusing when Nat realizes that in 2012 the Tesseract, the Scepter and the Eye of Agamotto were all in New York at the same time. Uh, which, yeah, it's true and I don't know why I didn't think about that um, when they started talking about uh, the plan. It just made a lot of sense and thank God that that, <laughs> that was the case for this movie. So, this is the mission. Six stones, three teams, one chance. Captain America gives one of his vintage motivational speeches. Whatever it takes, they will get the stones. No mistakes are allowed. They all suit up and say their temporary farewells, including Natasha who says, See you in a minute. Um, this is just sad. AF. Now that we know. But moving on, this is the beginning of Act 2, the time heist. And we are reliving MCU history. I love this. Again, this is a passionate letter from the Russos, Feige and all that Marvel Studios to the millions of fans who have followed this amazing franchise. I'm so grateful for this. But yeah, like I said, three teams, Tony, Cap, Hulk and Ant-Man go to New York in 2012 during the events of the Avengers movie. Thor and Rocket go to 2013's Asgard when the Dark Elves were invading the kingdom and Jane Foster was still being possessed by the Aether. And Rhodey, Nebula, Natasha and Clint land on Morag 2014 with the first pair staying to get the orb and the second duo flying to Vormir for the Soul Stone. So let's talk about it in parts. In New York the Hulk is in charge of getting the Time Stone, which he thinks is in possession of Doctor Strange, but not yet. The Ancient One is the one wearing the precious necklace. Thus, we get a comeback from the actor Tilda Swinton, which was surprising. Banner had a hard time convincing the Sorcerer Supreme to give him the stone, as she explains that removing one stone from the universe would create a nasty alternate timeline where that universe would be endangered by its absence. Banner relieves her concern by saying that the Avengers would return the stones back to their original timeline after the mission was complete. But this plot point is indeed very important and most likely a vital aspect of Doctor Strange 2 into the Multiverse of Madness because 
Stephen Strange will not be in possession of the Time Stone. In fact, all stones in this original universe have been reduced to atoms by Thanos. I think that that, that will definitely be a factor moving forward with Phase 4. I hope, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it will. But Banner's argument is not sufficient to encourage the Ancient One to lend him the stone. It's only when he tells her that Strange gave the Time Stone to Thanos willingly that she realizes that her successor might have done something right. So, one stone down, five to go. Captain America is responsible for retrieving the scepter, which had been handed to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s strike team, who we know from Captain America the Winter Soldier, to actually be a Hydra squad, with Brock Rumlow and Agent Jasper Sitwell heading to Baron Von Strucker's hidden lab, lab to give him the scepter. But their elevator trip is stopped by our very own Steve Rogers. <laughs> and this was another fantastic callback to Winter Soldier, with the elevator scene being one of the highlights of this movie. But here we do not get an awesome fight scene. Instead, Cap plays it smart and whispers in Sitwell's ear, Hail Hydra. <laughs> Oh my god, this was so good. It's so freaking funny. I adored this moment. Hats off to the writers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFilly for putting this here. <laughs> it was really good. I mean, meanwhile, uh, Tony and Scott are trying to get their hands on the Tesseract, which is inside a case that 2012's Tony has. Past Stark, past Thor and past imprisoned Loki are stopped by Alexander Pierce with Robert Redford being the second surprising callback that I really wasn't I really wasn't expecting him to return. And our present time team used this moment to get the Tesseract. Tiny Scott gives Iron Man from the past a mild cardiac arrest and kicks the case to 2023's Stark, who believes the job is done. But an angry 2012 Hulk accidentally pushes Tony uh, away <laughs> when he's going down the, the stairs and the Tesseract lands right next to Loki's feet who uses the Space Stone to escape. At this moment my mind just went what the what just happened? What now? Well <laughs> it seems this alternate Loki will have a very different future, which we'll explore in his own Disney Plus series coming this May. But yeah, the Tesseract is lost for now. The mission complete um, seems to be incomplete. Captain Rogers tries to communicate with the team, but runs into Captain Rogers, who believes that he's seeing the recently escaped Loki in his normal illusions. It's Cap versus Cap, Combat Expert versus Combat Expert. The 2012 Cap tells 2023 Cap that he, he could do this all day. <laughs> which, which was really funny, just hilarious. Um, again, hats off to the writers for how, for how present day Steve responds. <laughs> um, but yeah, our Steve present-day Steve, is able to overpower his former self 
and get the scepter out of Stark Tower. But with the Tesseract still missing, what will they do? They only have enough pin particles to go on another time leap, which would be to the present time. But Tony remembers something, a time and place where they could get more particles and the Space Stone in one go. So Scott takes the, step, the scepter back to the compound and the Civil War protagonists travel to 1970 where they sneak into Camp Lehigh, the place where a skinny Steve Rogers had trained and now a shield base. Inside the underground facility, a younger Hank Pym is working on his revolutionary tech and Howard Stark is still experimenting on the Tesseract. So, Steve and Tony now have a chance at getting both the stone and more time-traveling time fuel. Jesus, guys, sorry, my English is not good. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, anyway, Cap gets the particles easily, but when he hides away from unwanted attention, he sees through a window someone who he had lost so long ago, Peggy Carter working now as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Steve freezes for a moment thinks about what he had missed out on a life that he couldn't live that he didn't live but the mission is more important the stakes are really extremely high and so he chooses not to engage Tony on the other hand is forced to have a conversation with his own father, Howard. Both talk about being parents, Tony has a little girl, and Howard's wife is expecting. Which seems to surprise Tony. I don't know if it's because he didn't make the maths right and forgot he was in his mother's womb at the time, or maybe there's something more there, I don't know. It's Probably nothing, but I thought I'd mention it either way. Overall, this scene was so beautiful and it tackles, again, an important character subplot that started in the very first Iron Man movie. I love it when the MCU does this. Tony's conversation with his dad makes him realize that Howard wasn't that bad. And, yeah, it, it just... I don't know, it was a really powerful moment because his relationship with his dad that he always saw as being sour and... I don't know, it, it was really something to watch. Really emotional. And also, the cool thing, another cool thing about this scene is that Howard's butler, Edwin Jarvis, makes an appearance marking this as the first time that a character slash actor introduced in a TV show was later transported to a movie. We had met James Darcy's Edwin Jarvis in the Agent Carter series, which may or may not be MCU canon, we don't really know for sure, but still, what a pleasant surprise. Really wasn't expecting that at all. Really cool. On Asgard, Rocket has to snap Thor out of his miserable state if they are to extract the ether from Jane's body. 
But Thor isn't what he used to be, and when he sees his mother Frigga walking around the Asgardian palace, knowing that later that day she was about to die at the end of Malekith, he just couldn't resist trying to talk to her while the rocket did all the work. But Thor's chat with Frigga was, was such an important part of the movie, in my opinion, really important for the character's development. Thor was feeling lost, without a purpose, much like in Thor Ragnarok when he lost his hammer. Frigga gives him a great advice, which is to stop trying to be what he was intended to be and start becoming who he is meant to be. There's a difference. And this is a very emotional scene which explores Thor's relationship with his mom, something we had not really seen before. And it ends with a bang as Thor summons a 2013 Mjolnir, proving himself to be still worthy of the power. I love this so much. Anyway, moving on. There are only two more stones remaining, the power and the soul stones. And both adventures have major consequences for the rest of the film. While Rhodey and Nebula have no difficulty at getting the orb, something far worse was about to happen. In 2014, Thanos was looking for the Power Stone as, as, as well, and he was about to dispatch his daughters to Ronan so that the events of Guardians of the Galaxy could unfold as we had watched that year in that movie. But due to Nebula's cybernetic enhancements, her present self is entangled with past Nebula's mind and the sudden connection to this future Nebula intrigues the Mad Titan who back then was still this great conqueror and hadn't yet experienced the abandonment and loss of his favorite child. Thanos becomes aware of this time meddling business the Avengers had started and with the help of Ebony Maw, he goes through this second nebula's memories to see and learn everything. As Rhodey and Nebula are about to time jump back to 2023, her cyborg, cyborg body gets jammed and she's captured by the ruthless Mad Titan who sends 2014 Nebula instead of her future self so that she could hijack whatever plan the Avengers have in the future, or in the present. And, yeah, in Vormir, what we think is going to happen, happens. We have seen Infinity War, we know what needs to be done if the Avengers want all six stones. But who is going to be sacrificed? Clint or Natasha. Both want to be the one who jumps off the cliff, but they are stubborn and a quick, harmless fight follows. At the end, in this heavily emotional scene in which I cry every goddamn time, Natasha is the one who is sacrificed. It's okay, she tells her best friend that as she Let's go of his hand, and just like that, Natasha, Romanov, Black Widow, 
is gone. Wow. <laughs> Even though I knew right away, after they said they they were good, they were getting all six Infinity Stones from the past, that someone was gonna have to die because of the Soul Stone. Even though, even though I knew this, I, I was still sobbing and gasping in these three minutes. It was such a visceral loss, made, made more so after they return to the compound and the rest of the team realizes she's gone. The first original Avengers, Avenger that we lose. And it sucked. It really did, but the job wasn't finished. Matt wouldn't want them to stay put and mourn because they needed to bring everyone else back. So Stark, Banner and Rocket built a new nano gauntlet and put the stones in it. There was only one more decision to be made. Who was gonna snap their freaking fingers? It's played it's played mostly for laughs when Thor volunteers to do it, but considering his character arc throughout this, these last three movie appearances of him, I, I kind of, I kind of connected to it. I didn't really laugh. I, I mostly connected to Thor's speech, his position. He really needed a win. He needed, he needed to feel useful to do one thing right. But of course, his body and mind weren't apt to do it. It had to be Banner, the Hulk. The stones emanated gamma radiation, so it was as if he was made for that. Which is another kind of callback to another dialogue scene between him and Stark back in the first Avengers movie, where they discuss why Banner was the Hulk, or how the Hulk had saved Banner back when he was exposed to the gamma radiation, and what purpose did the Green Beast had for Banner. And now we know. This was it. So Banner puts on the gauntlet and snaps his fingers, leaving his entire right arm just done for completely kind of destroyed and the first indication that things are back to normal is a phone call that Clint gets from his wife Laurel. But all that's well doesn't end well because there is still the imminent threat of a 2014 Thanos brought to the future by the past Nebula. Thanos' massive ship destroys the Avengers facility, but luckily no one got too injured or deceased, only stuck underneath the rubble. As the Mad Titan descends from his vessel, he orders Nebula to get the stones while he waits for the Avengers to show up. Quick side note, <laughs> at this moment we still had another hour to go. Insane. Insane. Anyway, Stark Rogers and Thor join forces to take out Thanos in an awesome move. The God of Thunder summons both Mjolnir and Stormbreaker, one of the most awesome moments in the film and in the entire franchise. So epic. 
and the three Avengers confront the Mad Titan, who gives, who gives a, a rather menacing speech and declares that his new plan is to obliterate the entire universe and create a new one, teeming with life that knows not what it has lost, but only what has been given. A grateful universe, he argues. But the Avengers won't have it, and so the original Trinity attack Thanos, who now furnishes a powerful double-edged sword, a really powerful one, and easily subdues the three heroes. Just as he's about to push Stormbreaker into Thor's chest, something truly awesome happens, something we had all been waiting for four freaking years. Steve Rogers, Captain America, is worthy and he throws Mjolnir into Thanos and the whole crowd grows wild. Just thinking about it gives me goosebumps. Yes! Cap is really skilled with the hammer and shield combo. He puts up a good fight, but Thanos is Thanos. A violent conqueror with too much skill and raw strength. With his sword, he breaks Cap's vibranium shield, just like in Tony's Age of Ultron vision. And Thanos calls upon his children and armies to join the fight, to help decimate this planet. All seems lost, as Captain America is the only man standing against the thousands and thousands of rogues at Thanos' disposal. But then, then, whew, on your left is what Cap hears on his earpiece, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, dusted away five years before, flies through a portal, as do Black Panther, and the Wakandan warriors, and Bucky, and Groot, and Wanda, Doctor Strange, and the masters of the mystic arts open up dozens of portals, and every surviving hero that we have met throughout this entire franchise goes through them, the scales are balanced, everyone is here, even Pepper Potts is here in a rescue Iron Man suit, everyone is back, it was time, Avengers! <laughs> Assemble. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, sorry guys for this. Oh my god, you have no idea how much I cried from happiness in this moment. It was the best moment of the entire movie, the best moment of the entire franchise even. How can you ever top the spectacle of this scene? This is fan serving done right. I don't even know what to say anymore. I could talk about every interaction, every team-up move, every fun one-liner, but I'd be leaving out so much, you know? But okay, 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 I'll just quickly mention the, the nice, important bits. 
Tony is reunited with Peter Parker and gives him a heartfelt hug. Finally, Quill meets a 2014 Gamora who has no clue why he's being so fond of her. That plot point will develop in the third, in the third Guard Guardians movie. And Wanda confronts Thanos and almost kills him if he had not ordered to rain fire on the battlefield. But then, wait! Captain Marvel shows up and destroys Thanos' entire fleet without breaking a sweat. She is OP. Come on. We then have a deserved woman power moment. Just a shame that Black Widow could not join this iconic part. But Thanos manages to get his hands on Stark's gauntlet, regardless of the willpower of our heroes. Captain Marvel saves some time by attacking Thanos head-on, literally, but the Titan uses a naked power stone to blast Danvers away from him. And this was it. 1 in 14,605. Tony knew what needed to be done. He grabs Thanos by the gauntlet, but the villain just shoves Stark away. I am inevitable, he proudly pronounces once more and... But nothing happens. The camera moves to Stark, who had used the nanotechnology to remove the stones from Thanos' gauntlet. As the energy moves through his body, only a few words remain. And I... Him, Iron Man. <sighs> Dusting away this time is Thanos and his troops. The universe was saved, but Tony Stark made the ultimate sacrifice. The Infinity Stone's power was too much for his human body and he had to lay down by the debris his friends came to him but they all knew there was nothing to be done Pepper knew this as well you can rest now she says and so he does wow Stark left a recording for his family and friends. In it, he was hopeful that they could repair what Thanos did. And he was optimistic that things would be right after that. He finishes the recording by saying, I love you 3000, to his young daughter and wife. In my days, what, um, what a tearjerker that was. We, we then meet for his funeral where everyone is gathered, including Harley Keener from Iron Man 3, which was another pleasant surprise. Pepper puts a floating farewell object on the lake by their house, which was his first arc reactor, engraved with a sentence, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Wow. Uh, <laughs> This is, um, <clears throat> I'm not being able to hold it, guys. Uh, 
<sighs> but yes, after the fu funeral, everyone goes their separate ways. Thor leaves New Asgard uh, on the hands of Valkyrie and travels with the Guardians of the Galaxy to wherever they go next. And Hulk sends Cap through time so he can leave each Infinity Stone where it belongs to prevent any nasty alternate timelines from existing. Steve says goodbye to Bucky and he knows that his best friend is not coming back. Steve chooses to stay in 1945 to finally live a life with Peggy. On a nearby bench, old man Cap waits for Sam and gives, and gives the shield and mantle of Captain America to him, thus setting up the upcoming Falcon and Winter Soldier series. And the last shot is Peggy and Steve finally having that dance. <sighs> the end. No post-credit scene for the first time in an MCU movie, only a post-credit sound, that being the echoes of Tony's working hammer as he built the first Iron Man suit in the cave. <sighs> Oof. Um, <laughs> and that's it, guys. What can I say? This really was a love letter to the fans. The credits themselves were a testament to that, with all the characters having a special montage. Really beautiful. Um, I am obliged to give this one a 10, easy 10, inside the MCU. But as a movie outside the franchise, it's a 9. I don't really want to talk about why, but I think the length of the movie and everything that goes into it is very characteristic and intended for a specific audience, which is our fan base. I don't think that anyone could, could watch this movie without seeing all the other movies in the franchise and still feel the same connection, excitement, gratification and emotion that we felt. This was a very emotional experience for many different reasons. I don't think it could ever be replicated inside or outside the MCU because this is a very unique film from a very unique franchise and the feelings we got from it throughout this past decade are unique as well. Thank you Marvel, thank you Feige, thank you Robert Downey Jr. You have given us more than you know and without question transformed our lives until the end of days and we the fans will always assemble to explore more of what the MCU will bring us okay guys this was it like I predicted this was the longest episode in the series and most emotional episode as well it has been a journey my friends it really has but tomorrow we reach the final destination of this journey because spider-man far from home is the last installment of the mcu's phase three so you'll have to be stuck with me for one more day um 
Now I need to go rest my mind and soul after this period of time. The power of the MCU has changed my reality and allowed me to have this space where I can talk about it freely for as long as I desire, for infinity, let's say. <laughs> I'll talk to you tomorrow. Stay safe and goodbye.